Come up to me on the mountain and wait there. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. It wasn't all that long ago that my wife Karen, up there in the choir, and I were sitting in the den watching TV. And I looked over at her, and in that moment was captured by her appearance. She saw me staring, and as you guys can guess, she said, What? And I replied, you look beautiful. And she did. Now, I, I do think my wife is beautiful, but lest you think I'm just up here fishing for points because I'm in trouble or something. This doesn't work with Karen. Uh, for those of you familiar with the love languages, theory of relationships, uh, she is squarely and firmly in the acts of service uh, category. That's how she most feels loved. If I want her to feel loved by me, I need to tidy something up or fix something or cross, one of the, cross something off one of her many lists. And she's got a lot of lists. So telling her in that moment that she looked beautiful was appreciated on some level. But it, it's not the way that, to really get to her heart. And there was something about her in that moment that did seem different to me in the moment. There's a, what I call a central foundational teaching in Christianity, and it's this, that Jesus is the full embodiment of God. Jesus is God. The theological word for this is the incarnation, the embodiment. And the scriptures say that in Jesus, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. Now, philosophically, this sort of raises all kinds of really interesting and fun questions. If God is infinite and without limits, then when he was embodied in Jesus, God imposed limits on himself. He put limits on the limitlessness. Our own beloved St. Paul, when he was writing in the book of Philippians, he was in prison at the time, and he was writing to followers in Philippi. He he does a little bit of philosophical reflection about this with them. When he quotes in chapter 2 what scholars think is the lyrics of a song. It's a, it's a worship song, a praise song. Uh, he says uh, in it, he's speaking about the nature of Jesus, but he's speaking about it in a way that's an invitation. It's an invitation to those who would sing that song to think about um, how Jesus' nature can lead them to imitate him, to try to act and think and feel like Jesus. And again, keep in mind, these are song lyrics. This is from Philippians 2. He says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regularly, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus intentionally, purposefully emptied himself. He was in the form of God, but he diminished aspects of his divinity by taking on a this limited form of humanity that you and I experience all too well on a daily basis. But why? 
Why would Jesus limit himself? Now, at the school, at Cassidy, uh, we study this idea of the incarnation in eighth grade Bible. And I have this lamp set up in the middle of our seminar table on this day. And I have it set at this level. Can you see that? Yeah, this is, it's on a dimmer switch. And I ask the kids, as I'm sort of by implication asking you now, does this light bother you at all? Like its intensity? No, it's very pleasant to look at. Um, but what if I actually increased it to that and just left it there for the rest of the sermon? Wouldn't this annoy you and irritate you? In fact, I don't even know what they're called. Someone can help me after the service. When you look at a light and then it leaves that little imprint on the lens of your eye, a stymie is what I think, but I think that's not the right word for it. It would make you uncomfortable. I venture that part of what the songwriter in Philippians is touching on, for us to be in the presence of God, the maker, our God, needs to level down. God, who is infinite, chooses to become some version of the finite because otherwise we wouldn't be able to enjoy him or understand him or imitate him. That day that Jesus walked to that mountaintop, my read of it is that he knew that this unique experience was going to happen that extraordinary amounts of his divinity and his true essence were going to be revealed more than typical. The word for this is called a theophany. It's having an experience of God, a theophany. And he asked his three closest disciples to come along, I think because he wanted them to get the glimpse. And as they approached the peak of that hill, Jesus' full essence emerged he was transfigured before them, and you heard it in the story. It was dazzling white like the sun. Now, if you are a person who tracks the news, I think there's a pretty good chance that you have seen the story of the never-ending chapel service that's been taking place at Asbury College in Kentucky. Anybody have seen that? Yeah. This is a Christian college in Kentucky. It's in the Methodist tradition. And they have regular required, required chapel services during the week. Um, it was about 12 days ago, a week from this past Wednesday, that this regularly scheduled chapel service came to an end where students would go back to their regular schedules, go back to their class, and someone, somehow, in some configuration, made the suggestion that they don't stop. That they just keep singing, they just keep praying, they share parts of their story, there was public confession. And they've been doing this nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven, I mean, for the last 12 days. Now, I didn't write this into my sermon, but I noticed last night when I checked the news that the president of the college, you guys can imagine this, that finally he had to pull together the trustees and the administrators and the, all the leaders of the school and sort of make the decision, do we need to put a stop to this? Can you imagine wanting to be the person who's like the buzzkill <laughs> for the movement of God? 
And it's been going on. It's been all over the news. There been, there's a list of other universities that have observed this. And then they've begun sort of a version of this nonstop continual worship. Some people are calling it the, possibly the beginning of the next great awakening. So all kinds of folks in my social media circle, some who I know and some I just associate with, um, have been reflecting on it. They've been writing why. They've been talking about social and psychological phenomenon that would create something like this. I've never been a part of something exactly like what they're describing. But I, I did graduate from a Christian university, Oklahoma Baptist down the street, and the closest that I've ever come to something like this was my freshman year when my then-girlfriend, uh, not my wife uh, today, uh, she asked me to attend a student-led prayer service. It was probably a Friday night, if I recall, and we all gathered in a room that we'd reserved in the student center. It was a big group, probably about 30 or 40 people, and we were there to pray for the campus and to pray for the world. And I remember it. We all... Uh, at somebody's leading and prompting, we all got down on our knees and we were prostrate on the floor. It's very, you know, intense. And we took turns praying. Now, for those of you who grew up Southern Baptist, uh, they also have a liturgy. Um, they have phrases um, and words that they say in their prayers. Um, they tend to go back to them again and again. And everyone was taking turns that night praying around the room. And I knew my time was coming. <laughs> Um, pretty much repeating the same phrases, the same appeals to God. I don't remember exactly, but I, I recall it was a, probably a, about after an hour that I finally, you know, prostrate on the floor, sat up and looked around the room and thought to myself, is this really what God wants? Does this have any purpose to it? I think that's the day I started to become an Episcopalian. <laughs> I really do hope that what's happening in Kentucky is a theophany. And I don't doubt that God is in that mix. I believe that. And I want for myself and for all of you, for all of us, the possibility of having these theophanies, having moments of transcendence that sort of extend past the ordinary. They become extraordinary. Mountaintop experiences, we call these. The same thing that happened to Peter, James, and John. They were given the gift of seeing a version of Jesus that by necessity needed to be limited, but in that moment they saw just a little more. How do we put ourselves in a position to get those glimpses of just a little more? And yet, you do see God. I see God. To read about Jesus, to meditate on Jesus, to do the work of imagining the things that he says and how they apply to our lives, that is a glimpse of God. Irish philosopher Edmund Burke wrote, and listen to this title, The Philosophical Inquiry into the Origin of Our Ideas About the Sublime and the Beautiful. He talks about how we feel the sublime, we feel awe, not just during religious rituals or communion with God, but in everyday experiences, in the hearing of thunder, to be moved by music, to see repetitive patterns of light and dark. 
awe can be found in daily life. And being a, a student of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, back then as now, was and is still full of what we could term mundane experiences of awe. But let's not limit ourselves. Maybe, just maybe, if we would be open to the possibility that Jesus wants to show us a little more of his divinity. Just maybe even for a time. Like my wife Karen, <laughs> on that particular night when she shone all resplendent to me, a good next question to ask is, well, what is Jesus' love language? Maybe it is praise. I think it is. Maybe it is acts of service. Maybe it's quality time. But to truly see God and then to be loved by him in the moment and then to love him, that is the challenge and the adventure on this Transfiguration Sunday. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.